Section 4 of the Lectures on Tropical Diseases by Patrick Manson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 3. Bilharziosis Filariasis. Part 1. The same consideration that led me to bring forward Paragonimus westermani and the endemic hemoptysis with which it is associated induces me to give yet another illustration of the conveyance of a disease germ through water and probably by a fresh water intermediary. We now know that Bilharzia disease, similar to if not identical with that which is so common in Africa, occurs in America. Many cases have been reported in the West Indian islands, particularly in Puerto Rico. Quite recently, another and possibly widely diffused but specifically different species of the same genus has been added to the already sufficiently long list of human disease germs. The new species, which gives rise to very different and grave lesions, has been named Schistosomum catoi and also Schistosomum japonicum. It is possible that it too may occur in, or if it does not already occur in, that it may in the near future be introduced into the Western Hemisphere. As yet, it is impossible to estimate the importance of the new parasite, but there can be no question as to the importance of the more familiar species of Bilharzia, at least as regards Africa, where in places, Egypt for example, it affects one half of the population. The introduction into America of Bilharzia, or, as it is more correctly called, Schistosomum hematobium, may have been a recent occurrence, hence its non-recognition long ago and its present limited geographical range in this part of the world. If this be so, a serious situation has arisen, for as with many other disease germs of old world origin, Bilharzia may yet spread far and wide over your continent, and in congenial spots prove as serious an enemy to health in America as it undoubtedly is in Africa and its dependencies. Schistosomum hematobium is a trematode or fluke. Unlike most trematodes which are hermaphrodite, it is bisexual. The female worm, a comparatively long and slender organism, living partly and more or less permanently, embraced by the infolded lateral borders of the shorter and stouter male. The female is about 20 millimeters in length, and the male about 15 millimeters. Thus the head and tail of the female come to project, so to speak, beyond the head and tail of the male. The principal habitat of the parasite is believed to be the portal vein, its radicals, and their anastomotic connections about the region of the bladder and rectum. In any given case, there may be only a few, or there may be many parasites present, and there is generally speaking a corresponding degree of gravity in the morbid effects produced. These effects are brought about by the parasite in their endeavors to place their eggs in the medium, fresh water, suitable for hatching purposes. In other words, in their efforts to secure the continuation of their species by passing from one human host to another human host. There is no certainty about the exact details of the process of oviposition, much as conjecture. It would appear that after attaining the portal vessels by some as yet unknown route, 
the mature parasites move up against the bloodstream until they get to the hemorrhoidal or vesicle venous radicals and their connections arrived at the smallest vessels into which the coupled worms can enter the female contrives somehow to get her eggs through the walls of the smaller veins and into the perivascular connective tissue whence the eggs aided possibly by the spine with which they are furnished work their way toward the mucous surfaces and so into the urine or feces as the case may be the process is attended with inflammatory trouble and a great deal of oozing of blood and urinary or rectal irritation is produced the ova thus set free escape from the body of the human host in the excretions if you get a patient affected with the vesical form of bilharzia disease to pass water into a urine glass on holding the glass up to the light you will perceive little mucoid shreds or even little clots of blood floating in the urine these mucoid shreds and the mucosanguinous deposit in the glass under a low power of the microscope will show the ova in abundance perhaps the best plan for arriving rapidly at a diagnosis or to obtain specimens for experiment is to get the patient to nearly empty his bladder and then to catch in a watch-glass the last few drops he can expel with straining these last few drops are generally tinged with blood and are almost sure to contain many ova on placing one of these ova under the microscope you can easily make out that it contains a ciliated embryo or myricidium as it is called you can see it move from time to time now although you get this indication of life so long as it remains in the urine there may be no further indication of progress in development but if you dilute the urine with a little fresh water at once a change commences the little embryo becomes excited squirming about very actively and rupturing the shell of the egg finally escapes into the surrounding fluid in this it promptly proceeds to rush and gyrate about as if in search of something manifestly this is the first step schistosomum hematobium makes in its extracorporeal life the first step toward another human host the step is made in fresh water this much is positively known and very important knowledge it is but the rest of the life cycle of this dangerous and troublesome parasite is a blank many investigators have tried to fill it in analogy and reason suggest that from the water the embryo passes into some fresh water animal that this is the case is extremely probable but so far this animal has not been recognized if it be an animal it is evidently one with peculiar geographical limitations even in the endemic area it is only within circumscribed districts that the disease can be acquired in these circumstances we have a kind of clue to the identification of the hypothetical intermediary it is to be hoped that ere long this clue will be successfully followed up on the success of the quest depends intelligent economical and effective prophylaxis it has long been known that whereas the bilharzia eggs that escape in the urine have their spines placed terminally those that escape in the feces have their spines placed laterally i cannot affirm that this arrangement of the spine in the vesicle and rectal ova respectively invariably obtains but it certainly does so in a large number of instances 
speaking for myself i have never seen the lateral spined ovum in the urine but i have often seen them in the feces in some instances in which the rectum alone was affected and in which there were no ova in the urine all the ova were lateral spined it has been suggested that this difference in the position of the spine in vesicle and rectal bilharziosis respectively is brought about by the different mechanical conditions in which the parental worms ovulate by the influence of pressure in altering the position of the ovum in respect to the duct of the shell gland this may be the explanation i doubt it it may be that in this difference in the position of the spine in vesicle and rectal bilharziosis we have an indication of difference of species that there is a species of bilharzia specially affecting the bladder and producing terminal spined ova and another species that specifically affects the rectum and produces lateral spined ova only i have only once seen a case of bilharzia disease acquired in the western hemisphere in the west indies in this case the rectum alone was affected although the patient was kept under close observation for several weeks and his urine was frequently examined the urine never showed any ova but the feces invariably yielded characteristically lateral spined eggs i confess it is difficult to understand how or why the same species should produce lateral spined ova when it haunts the rectum and terminal spined ova when it haunts the bladder i am tempted to conjecture that we may be dealing with two or more distinct species and that the american bilharzia belongs to the lateral spined species footnote this conjecture is encouraged by the recent investigations of dr gunn who has met with many examples of rectal bilharziosis in puerto ricans in every instance the ova were lateral spined and in no instance were ova found in the urine End footnote. a further argument in favor of there being a multiplicity of species of bilharzia infecting human beings has cropped up quite recently in the discovery to which i have already referred of schistosomum catoi eastern asia was long believed to be free from bilharzia disease and so it is as regards schistosoma hematobium and also as regards the hypothetical lateral spined ovum producing species but we now know that asia has a species of bilharzia of its own namely this schistosomum catoi the new parasite like the more familiar bilharzia inhabits the blood vessels connected with the portal system but whereas hematobium lies on the venous side of the capillaries catoi lies for the most part if not altogether on the arterial side in appearance and habit both species closely resemble each other schistosomum catoi is somewhat smaller than schistosoma hematobium and the male is further distinguished by his smooth non-tuberculated integument the egg of schistosomum catoi has no spine being regularly oval and perfectly smooth and having a much thinner shell these smooth non-spined ova the female worm contrives to place in the mucosa and submucosa of the large and small intestine but especially in the former and in such a profusion that in places they literally form what looks on section like an almost complete layer in the bowel 
so numerous are they that in some microscopical sections of affected tissue as in those of the appendix vermiformis they seem to replace completely the normal structures from this situation the eggs are extruded into the bowel much in the same way as those of schistosomum hematobium are extruded into the lumen of the bladder or bowel by this route they probably find their way into water where it is to be presumed the ciliated embryo which they contain is liberated and finds its special intermediary and so back into man or beast there can be little doubt that this parasite will prove a serious element in tropical and subtropical pathology it occurs in china and japan this has been definitely ascertained probably it occurs elsewhere as for example in the warmer parts of america in japan it has been linked up with a peculiar kind of chronic enteritis and anemia and is associated with enlargement of the spleen and liver and a fatal cachexia a diagnosis is arrived at by the discovery of the characteristic ova in the stools of such patients or post-mortem by microscopical examination of scrapings from the surfaces of the diseased bowel we have information from japan that cats are liable to this disease as well as man just as in the case of paragonimus westermani this is a most important fact for americans for it is probable that what holds good for paragonimus westermani holds good for schistosomum catoi and that america may be if she is not already invaded by schistosomum catoi and that the infection may spread through the agency of the domestic animals as well as by that of man himself in speaking of paragonimus westermani i suggested that you should be alive to the presence of this parasite in america and that in cases of non-tubercular hemoptysis you should examine the sputum with the microscope on the chance of getting an explanation of the symptoms by the discovery of the presence of the ova of that parasite i would suggest similarly a microscopical examination of the urine in hematuria and of the feces in chronic dysenteric-like affections on the chance of obtaining an explanation of the symptoms by the discovery of the ova of one or other of the bilharzial parasites alluded to some of the facts i have mentioned in connection with these trematodes bring home to us our helplessness as physicians when such a worm has succeeded in effecting a lodgment in the human body others of these facts indicate the necessity for a more complete knowledge of the life histories of the parasites more especially of their life histories outside the human body during their passage from host to human host that is to say while they are still amenable to our interference with full knowledge of this we undoubtedly could prevent the diseases to which these parasites give rise once acquired we are helpless we cannot angle for flukes in the portal vein to kill them in sight to even supposing we could might lead to dangerous consequences in such circumstances the most we can hope to effect is to keep the unhappy victim from being injured and from unwittingly injuring himself we must bear in mind that such diseases do occur accustom ourselves to be on the outlook for them to suspect their presence we must learn to diagnose them to confirm or negative such suspicions and when we do arrive at a positive diagnosis we must instruct our patient as to the best way to guard himself from injurious methods of treatment 
and injurious ways of living, and from being a source of danger to his neighbors. The subject of Bilharzia disease should live quietly, eschew alcohol altogether, eat little or no red meat, salted or otherwise preserved foods of an indigestible nature, or such as are calculated to increase urinary or intestinal irritation. He must guard against chill, against gonorrhea, and against all causes of cystitis and enteritis. Above all, in the case of bladder bilharziosis, he must, so long as possible, keep out of the way of the surgeon, who at all events, in a good many instances, is often too keen to get an excuse for passing instruments into the bladder. Only when purulent cystitis is present are we justified in using instruments in this disease. They are only too often the medium of bacterial invasion of the urinary tract, an invasion which otherwise might have been avoided. I have seen much harm done from injudicious instrumentation in Bilharzia disease. During the Boer War, many of our English settlers contracted Bilharzia in South Africa. It is endemic in Natal and in parts of the Transvaal. One poor fellow I saw, who having escaped the Boer bullets, developed symptoms of Bilharziosis on the return voyage to England. On landing and in ignorance of the nature of his complaint, he consulted a surgeon about the urinary irritation and slight hematuria he was suffering from. There was no microscopic examination of the urine. The pain and the blood suggested stone. A sound was introduced. No stone was discovered, but a cystitis was communicated and, of course, increased the suffering. Another surgeon was now consulted. He unfortunately discovered some condyloma-like excrescences around the anus. Now Bilharzia produces not only papillomata inside the anus, but at times outside the anus as well, and even on the perineum and groins. The surgeon was not aware of this, but ignoring the urinary trouble, and in spite of the protest of the soldier that such a thing was impossible, he diagnosed syphilis and prescribed calomel. The outcome of the combined treatments was cystitis and severe salivation and syphilophobia. In examining the urine microscopically, there was no difficulty in recognizing the bilharzia ova, and on excising a piece of condylomatous growth, the parasitic nature of these was made equally apparent. A little knowledge and a little caution and trouble would have spared the poor man much suffering and some expense. End of chapter 3, part 1